I figured, you know, while the cat's away, the mice will play, you know, why not do something fun while Pastor Sagan was gone? So I thought, hey, what better theme than dealing with our sins? That'll bring a smile to everybody's face. Uh, I jest, of course. This uh, sermon is not born in um, some superior ability on my part uh, to have uh, handled this subject or conquered this theme. I haven't conquered myself. Uh, Frankly, this was born in in many ways out of desperation over the years. I've been a Christian for about 20, and it was desperation that led me to say, Jesus, have mercy upon me. And uh, it's still uh, a life of desperation in many ways for the Lord to make me what I am not. And I think if you're anything like me, um, you're perhaps tired of you (laughs) and tired of your struggles with sin. And I want to speak to you about living a cross-centered life and dealing with your sins in a cross-centered way. I think we all have our strategies to cope and to handle sin. I've, I've tried numerous of them. I probably will continue to try them and see that they fail. One strategy that doesn't really work is uh, the strategy, which and some of these are partly right. One strategy that just doesn't seem to really work for me is to say, I'm forgiven. Now I promise not to do that again. I'm never going to think those thoughts or say that thing or it is a glorious thing to be forgiven, and that, that ought to be a motive, absolutely, for change. But it's not the whole of the resources that God has provided for us. And just promising because you're thankful isn't going to uh, really help you. Now, one of the other ways that we deal with sin is uh, we say to ourselves... <laughs> My sins are really painful. They have tremendously painful consequences. Okay, if I don't stop this thing, it's going to kill me. Um, I, I have numerous uh, sins that uh, kill me. Uh, one of them is pride and arrogance. And, I, and the way it comes out in a rather humorous way is um, I, I think of myself as an 18-year-old instead of a 38-year-old. And I used to be a fairly good athlete. And I still imagine myself that way. We were down at the Illinois River as a family a month or two back now, and it was a fairly swiftly running uh, river at the time. And I was sitting in a chair uh, buried up to my waist in water with my feet dangling out, and it was cool and it was refreshing, and playing a game with the little kids where we were throwing a little Frisbee disc upriver, and uh, they'd get it if they could, and if not, it would float down back to Dad, and I would toss it back up. And So I decided in a, a moment of arrogance that, well, I'd show them how this was really done, and that little frizz began to float behind me, and I thought, no look, I'll get it. And I just put my hand out, and I felt it, and I grabbed it, and I missed it, and it went flying past me. And I threw myself over to get it, couldn't get it, got up and leaped, thinking I'll lunge for it, I'll die for it. Well, I was in about a foot of water, and there were a tremendous number of rocks underneath, which just sliced me up and down, and to my great humiliation... I also lost my shoes in the process, and my father-in-law had to, who's more than 58, had to run downriver, get those things, and recover the stuff, because I, in my arrogance and in my pride, uh, tried to handle my situation. Now, that's, you know, 
That's just nothing, right? But we do get ourselves into a mess which causes us pain, and we say to ourselves, I will never do this again. It's too hard. And yet some of us find ourselves back in those very same situations. Now, some of you are saying, no, no, no. You know, what keeps me really from sin is there are things that if I did them, which I... I sort of would like to be able to do, but it would, it would be too publicly humiliating if they became known. And so that really that fear is what keeps me from sin. And others of you are saying, no, no, no. Look, the way you deal with sin is you just say no. I mean, really. You just decide you're not going to and you just quit. And if that doesn't work, work harder at it. Now, I don't know if you're worn out by that technique yet, but... If you really try it, you will be. I want to suggest to you today another strategy. Uh, there are some truths in all those things that probably help a bit. But, but there is a gospel strategy for dealing with sin that I think we often overlook and don't make use of. And I want to bring that resource before you this morning. From Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, we won't have time to go into all the details, but I want to highlight four or five things for you this morning. Hear God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So... You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Father in heaven, as so long ago you once penned these words through the apostle by your spirit, would you now write them on our hearts and teach us and change us and help us to see the freedom and joy and battle that we have in Christ because of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, how does the gospel help me fight? Pardon me. If I move it down, is that going to help? How does the gospel help me fight sin? 
uh, it tells me that I am free to struggle, not struggling to be free. I want to explain that under five headings this morning. I know I gave you four, but as I thought about my introduction, it really became point number one, which I guess would be point number zero on your outline if you're there. But how do we use the gospel? How do we make use of the resources of the gospel to be changed and to deal with sin? And, And the first is this, is to realize that it is through the cross that God forgives you and God accepts you. Now, I know that you have heard that a thousand times in your life, but I wanted to skip to points number two through four. Really, that's what you have on your outline. And I realized if we don't pause here for a second, um, we've really missed uh, one of the most important things there is. And that is this, that if I'm going to deal with my sin, I've got to be willing to be honest about my sin. And I'll never be honest about my sin unless I know that I have a Savior in whose forgiveness and grace I am secure. I can't tell you my troubles, and I can't handle my troubles, and I can't go to the Lord with my troubles if I don't think he's willing to have me, if I think he's against me instead of for me. But the glory of the gospel is I can know this, that God is for me and not against me because of the cross, because Jesus in his perfect life lived an acceptable life before the Father, and Jesus in his suffering and death died for me what my sins deserve and he has paid it all and I am clothed in his righteousness and the father welcomes me and accepts me entirely based on his record and not my record his merit not my merit so I don't have to pretend I'm not struggling with sin I don't have to defend myself and give all kinds of explanations about why I've sinned I can go to the father and say I have sinned help me Because the Father is for me and not against me because of the gospel. And Satan comes along and convinces me that if I were to confess my sin, well, then Jesus will reject me. Jesus will discover something really awful about you that as if he didn't already know or had in mind when he went to the cross. And so don't say it. Don't admit it. Don't own up to it. Don't acknowledge and take responsibility for it. I mean, he might reject you. And after all, the church would really think that's really awful and reject you too because sometimes we forget in the church. That the church is a hospital for sin-sick people. We shouldn't be surprised. We should expect people's lives are a mess because of sin. And we should welcome and accept one another because God in Christ does. Now, I think most of us forget this when we struggle with sin. In fact, perhaps the moment you're most likely to forget this is the moment when you're in your deepest temptation. And, and sin is right there crouching at the door and you are ready to go for it. And you think to yourself, I want to go for it. I guess I'll go for it. And I certainly couldn't go to God in this condition. I certainly couldn't speak to him and ask for his help. I mean, look at me. I'm a mess. And, and there's, a way of, there's a way of relating to God, basically, that, that begins to take on the form of atonement by time lapse. It begins to say, we believe that, well, if enough time passes between the time that I did that thing I, I said I wouldn't do, then I can go to the Father. Because my conscience isn't as 
profoundly afflicted as it was three days ago, and clearly the Father must have gotten over it by now, and so it's all a wash, we're all good, and I can just go to God later, but I certainly can never go to him right now in the moment of temptation or even in the moment of sin. But if we believe the gospel, we believe that we don't go to the Father in our own strength, standing merits. We go to the Father in the grace of Jesus, covered in Jesus. And you can pray to the Father, help in the midst of your deepest troubles. Because the Father is for you and not against you. A man named Ebenezer Erskine had to have been an 18th century Puritan or something, right? Ebenezer Erskine said, The Christian mortifies, kills, sin, because he is at peace with God. The legalist mortifies or kills sin to try to be at peace with God. Do you believe that there is mercy in Jesus? Let that mercy draw you to Jesus because the Father's for you. Don't think, I'll get right, I'll quit, I'll stop. Then God will hear me and listen to me because I'm doing well. Think, think of you parents. I mean, think of it this way. Uh, this is so important to know that you're forgiven and accepted in the gospel to deal with your sin. I mean, as, as a parent of children... What you want to do, right, is create an environment in your home where your son or your daughter feels so loved and accepted and safe and secure that they can come to you when they're in trouble, not hide from you, right? This is what we want. We want our children to say, I've really blown it. I can go to my parents and they'll help me because they'll forgive me. They'll, they'll, they'll accept me. Not to create an environment of fear where they want to hide from us. Then we'll never go and seek their help. See, the gospel creates that safe environment. And that's the first thing you need to remember. Go to the Lord because of the cross. But the second is, is this. Um, you can go to the Lord because God has changed you. He's changed you. Look, look at the text in Romans 6. What then shall we say? Well, what he'd just been saying is that you're totally forgiven, past, present, and future, and you're bound for glory, and sin can't even stop it in Jesus. And some people are saying, hmm, that sounds like I can do whatever I want if it's all up to him and not me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's not that. You might draw that wrong conclusion. In fact, if you don't draw that conclusion, you haven't understood the gospel. If you don't draw the conclusion that you might think that you could do whatever you want and still go to heaven because of Jesus, then you haven't yet begun to hear the gospel because the gospel is Jesus did everything. But to answer the question, should we go on sin? Go and sin more so that grace may abound? Hey, I mean, more grace for more sin? Should we do that? Paul's answer, interestingly enough, isn't, no, look, you've been forgiven. I mean, you've, you've been forgiven by the one who offend, you offended. I mean, that would be like a slap in the face. But Paul's answer isn't, you've been forgiven, now don't do it again, because it was awful the first time you did it. Look what Paul's answer is. How can we, who died to sin, 
live in it any longer. And while, while it's there in the English, I tried to emphasize it, it's even more so obvious uh, in the original language, but he's emphasizing something. He's emphasizing who we are. How can we, we who are the kind of people who, yada, yada, how could we do that? See, what he's saying is, you're different now. You've been changed. Everything has changed about you, and you shouldn't live the way that you used to live. You can't go on living the way that you used to go on living because you're different. You're new, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God changed you. You are as different uh, as a butterfly is from a caterpillar. You used to be a caterpillar. You've been born anew and changed. And you'll never, you could never go back to be being a caterpillar. And you say to me, it doesn't feel like that. I've been a Christian for like 20 years and... Part of me doesn't remember what it was like not to be a Christian, and part of me just knows that every day I still struggle with sin, and I just don't really feel all that new. And I'm saying to you, God says you're new. You're new. and In fact, Paul says you need to remind yourself of this. If you go back down to verse uh, 11, you must consider yourself. <laughs> this is true of you, he says. Now believe it. Count it to be true of you. So sometimes we just need to be reminded that these things are true, that That sin is not what God designed us for, nor what he has redesigned us for. It's not what you're made for, and it's not what you've been remade for in Christ. And, of course, the enemy comes along and says, you did it again, and you're you're no different. You haven't really changed. You're not really a Christian. Get off your religious little thing, and let's just move on with life. And, And the father says to you, no, 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 listen. You are not who you used to be. If you aren't, let me ask you this question. Why do you care so much about your sin? If you're not who you used to be, why do you care so much? Because you're not who you used to be. You're new. You've been changed. And that's the first thing he wants to remind you of. Now, he goes on a little bit more. Look at the change that's been made, particularly here. There are many, but verse 2. How can we, we who are the kind of people who died to sin... Still live in it. You know what Paul says? Paul says you are a person who died to sin, and therefore you are free. You're already free. God freed you. I want to talk to you for a second about what what theologically we might call definitive sanctification, as opposed to progressive sanctification. Sanctification is is, is being made more like Jesus. We often talk about the process, the progressing nature of God making you more like Jesus, which is absolutely true. But there is also this thing called definitive sanctification, which is this, that you have already been set apart from the realm and kingdom of sin for the realm and kingdom of Christ. You are already free, the Bible says. I mean, look at the number of ways he puts it. You you, it, all, it all amounts to this, that you are wrapped up in Jesus. You are united to him. What happened to him happened to you. He died, and God raised him. And you have died and been raised to newness of life. 
You, it says, you died to sin. You were crucified with him. Verse 6. Verse, uh, end of verse 6, that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. For verse 7, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Okay? Uh, pause there and think this over with me just for a little bit. Paul is not saying you are going one day to die to sin, that you should progressively be dying to sin, that um, uh, somehow you'll never want to sin anymore, that you ought to be a person who is uh, uninfluenced by temptation. He's not saying any of that. He's saying something has already happened, and it's done. It's over. You died to sin. Now, what does he mean? He seems to mean in this language of slavery, he seems to mean this, that, that sin is, is more than just bad stuff people do or, or the things that we fail to do. It, sin here is, 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 is personified. It's king sin. It has a rule and a reign, a kind of authority and dominion over people. And it was, it was active in your life. You were enslaved to it. You were its servant. And it was your master. He says, you couldn't do anything else but submit and obey. When it spoke your voice, you said, yes, sir, how high may I jump? And Paul says, you died. And what happens between a master and slave when the slave dies? The relationship is cut. The master is no longer master. Paul says, you died. You're free from the old master. You were raised with Christ to a newness of life. And Christ is your king. You're out of the old dominion of sin, and you're in a new dominion where Christ is king, and he is your Lord. You were a slave, but you are free. That's what he's saying. You're free. Now... What does that mean for you? It means that you are free to fight sin. You are not struggling to be free of sin. You fight your battle from a position of victory, won for you in Jesus. This is what I mean by living a cross-centered way of dealing with your sin. Uh, the the, the illustration... Um, Let's get to that in a second. Um, Let me put it this way. Sin whispers in your ear, you must obey me, right? Um, You must lust. You've got to have it. Uh, The food's at the table, why not overeat, right? Um, You can't do anything other than speak harshly. That's the way you've always been. Why not go on being bitter, You've been nursing that bitterness for a long time. Be bitter. Procrastinate. You're just a procrastinator. Go on procrastinating. You're always mad at bedtime. You're always going to be mad at bedtime. The kids come out for the 12th time at 10 o'clock at night, and you're tired and frustrated. You're always going to be tired and frustrated, and you're always going to talk mean and harsh. I've just listed to you some of my sins. I haven't been talking about any of you. I'm just doing therapy up here. But you understand that sin comes to me and says, this is who you are, this is who you will always be, and you are a slave to sin. 
And God says to you, that's not true. You are not a slave to sin, and you are not a servant in its kingdom. You've been freed. Now, then you fail, and the devil comes along and says, see, I told you so. You couldn't be anything but what you are, right? He whispers, and so he tries to build in you a sense of discouragement and despair. It's hopeless. You'll just never change. It can never happen. And the the devil just wants you to give up. He wants you to give up trying. This is a sin I'll just deal with the rest of my life because it's who I am. And part of of what you need to see in your strategy with dealing with sin is to see that God freed you because Christ won a victory for you. You died with him. You rose to newness of life with him. Don't give up hope. And then there's this. There's progressive sanctification. There's God calling you to change, to be involved in change. Verses 11 to 14. So, you must consider yourself dead to sin. Wait. He already said, you died to sin. Now he says, thou reckon it to be true? Yes. It's already true. You need to believe it's true. Reckon yourself dead to sin. But understand this. Though you have died to sin, sin has not died in you. Okay? It's still there. It is not an authority figure. It has been cut off at the knees, but it is alive and well indwelling you. I mean, we can't get to Romans 7 today, but Paul says, the good I want to do, I do not do, and the the bad I don't want to do, there I still do it, and I'm I'm still a mess, right? I'm still sinning. I'm not arguing here that you're never going to sin anymore if you just believe all these things. But you're not a slave. You're free. But sin hasn't died. It's present in you. It's fighting a war against you. And you must join the battle. Because the victory has been won in Christ. Uh, The illustration that helps me, you've heard it maybe a thousand times in your own life, is from World War II. Uh, Perhaps if you remember uh, your history, that um, the... Perhaps, and I think most military historians, as far as I know, and I am no expert, still look back and say sort of the defining moment, the the definitive event which ended that war, at least in Europe, was when we stormed the beaches of Normandy and retook the continent. We beat Germany, and we got our army on the continent. And having done that, Everything after that was a kind of mopping up operation. It was, it, was, it was awful, it was war, it was a battle. But the definitive victory took place on D-Day. And in a sense, victory was assured from there. Now there were many skirmishes and many other battles until victory in Europe Day, which was much later. But there is a sense, that we, at least in this respect, the defining event which freed you has already occurred and you are free. But sin is fighting a guerrilla warfare against you and you've got all kinds of battles to engage in. You need to get in the fight. Or another way to look at it in more contemporary terms, and uh, I hope I'm not uh, too ahead of the game on this illustration, but forgive me for entering into the politics of war for a second. I don't mean to enter into the politics of war, but if you think about 
the Iraq war, one of the things that we did is we went in and we took the capital and we cut off its leader. And he is no longer an authority there. And his military dispersed. And, and the, the decisive battle to reclaim the capital occurred. Now, there's been a tremendous amount of insurgency and guerrilla warfare and terrorism and maybe civil war thrown in. And I, I don't have it all figured out. But a major event took place. There's a new regime in town, in charge, now seeking to extend that authority into all the nooks and crannies. We don't know how that's all going to turn out, but we know about this about the gospel. The decisive event of Jesus dying and rising is yours and your victory. You're free. Now you're free to fight against sin living in you. And it begins with the mind. It begins with counting yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. Depend on it being true of you, because it is true of you. See, one of the ways this plays out in my own heart and mind is is when I'm struggling and temptation is strong sin says to me it's just inevitable this is the history of your life go for it and I think this is probably one of the the longest neglected aspects of sanctification in my life and it's been the most helpful as I've understood is to be able to say I don't have to do this. You're not in charge around here. Jesus is my king. I'm his servant. I don't have to think this way, speak this way, do this thing. I'm freed. Now, believe that. Count it to be true and say no and say yes. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, but offer yourself to God. Say no to sin, say yes to God and righteousness, right? Paul says you can. You can say no. Paul wouldn't tell Christians, listen, listen, there's a couple of ways to think about this. Paul wouldn't tell you not to let sin reign in your life if it was impossible for Christians to let sin reign in their lives. Hear me on that for a second. Paul's already said it doesn't rule and reign. It's Jesus rules and reigns. It's not your authority. But it's possible to go on living like it does and to give yourself to it and say, all right, have at it. Now, Paul says that's an utter contradiction of who you've been made in Christ. It's, it's against all love. It, it doesn't make any sense to do that. It's, it's ungrateful, and the Father who loves you will discipline you, and he doesn't want that for you, but it's possible to give yourself to sin and to let it have a form of reign, even though it doesn't have the right to be there. So Paul says, don't do that. That's why he commands you, don't do that. But he also, listen, he's not saying, don't let sin reign if it's impossible for you to not let sin reign. In other words, Paul gives you this command, and he expects 
that in some way, shape, or form, it's possible for you to not let sin reign. But to give yourself instead to God, to offer the instruments of your body, which actually he uses a language for weapons of war. He, he really imagines your, your hands to be weapons of war, your tongue to be a weapon of war, your heart, your imagination, your sexual organs, your legs, every, every part of you, your mind, every, your strength. Every part of you he imagines to be sort of a weapon of war. Now give that weapon over in service of the king. Don't give that weapon over in service of sin. Offer yourselves and the instruments of your body to God to be used by him. Now, that's progressive sanctification. That's God's call upon your life. And if we stop there, I'm afraid you would still despair. And we have to, we have to jump ahead in the book of Romans just for a second and to say this. That's easy to say. That's easy to say and it's impossible to do. What I've just told you to do, you cannot do. Not you by yourself in your own strength. This is not, you're forgiven, believe these things, now get out there, folks, and start saying no and saying yes. Because Paul will say in Romans 7, whew, sin lives in me, it's a struggle. And then he'll say in Romans 8, you need the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, verse 13, he says to you, kill sin by the Spirit. Or, by the Holy Spirit, put sin to death. In other words, he doesn't leave you on your own. Later on, he says to you, I've just told you to do something you're incapable of doing. Now go do it by the help of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is a supernatural faith, folks. You aren't designed, you're incapable of doing what you're supposed to do without God helping you. But you have to go do it. You can't just sit back and go, well, he just said the victory is won in Jesus. I died, I rose, I'm dead to sin. Now let God show up and handle my battles. He didn't say that. He said, you go and fight. But you make use of the Holy Spirit in that fight by the power, enablement, and strength of the Holy Spirit, you fight this fight. And the Father is greatly desirous to give you the Holy Spirit to help you in your fight because he's for you and not against you because Jesus won the Holy Spirit for you upon the cross and he's God's good gift to us. So by the Holy Spirit, kill sin before it kills you. Drive a stake through it. Learn to hate it. Take it to the cross and see that it's, it's what put Jesus there. Learn to despise sin. Learn to starve it. Learn to deny it. Deal radically with it. Turn away from all occasions for it. If you've got to get rid of the computer in your house, get rid of it. If you need to only look on the internet in public places, do it. If you need to take a step back from the argument and count to ten and say, oh, Lord... Help, take my tongue and use it for you because I'm going I'm to ruin it again. Then do that. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of me. There are resources in the gospel designed to help you. You feel like you can't handle your sin? You can't handle your sin.
You are right where the Lord wants you. But don't say, it can't be done, therefore I won't do it. Say, it can't be done, oh Lord. Forgive me my sin. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil by your strength, by the cross, by the Spirit. Let's pray.